This is the Press Play Podcast, brought to you by Real Resilience. Hello and welcome to Press Play, the podcast from Real Resilience, dedicated to all things tape and tape recording. My name is Ian Betson and I welcome you to the first episode of the new year. I hope the forthcoming 12 months brings everything you hope for in the world of tape and tape machines. Late last year saw me accept work on a number of clients' machines for the next few weeks, from consumer models by Grundig and Telefunkens to the big studio stuff by Studa and MCI. Now, I read an interesting article in the December edition of the UK's Hi-Fi and Record Review magazine about the resurgence of the tape format. If you want to read it, I've put a PDF copy of it in the download section of the Real Resilience website. Of particular note were the prices of the machines and the cost to get them serviced. Now overall I think the figures mentioned were pretty accurate. We all know that the asking prices of any machine has increased. You only have to look on the auction sites to realise that. But I'm starting to find as well that owners are becoming more attuned to what it costs to bring a machine back from the dead or even just back to something approaching the manufacturer's spec. I'm afraid we all have air costs, uh, we all need air equipment outlay, uh, we buy air lineup tapes and all those other kind of things and I'm afraid we still have to make a living and that has to be reflected in the price that service engineers charge. And I'm glad that this uh, magazine article did reflect that. I'm also starting to see an increase in the availability and range of replacement or augmented parts for original machines. Not just the standard pinch rollers that we all need, but things such as control cards, uh, exterior panels and the internal mechanisms. It's a market that's starting to blossom. In further episodes over the forthcoming year, I hope to speak to some of the people creating these products because I think it will make an interesting podcast. So overall, a positive start to the year in terms of the audio format we all love. Now this podcast leads on from the previous one with my visit to Sound Mastering in London. In part one, I spoke to Nick Robbins, he's a senior mastering engineer at the company, about the transfer process. And then Nick brought his colleague Graham Sharp into the conversation, and we move more on to tape machines and other formats, as you'll hear. Hello Graham, this is Ian. Hello Graham, Hi. Ian Benson. Graham works on the initial transfer process from the original format, be it vinyl or tape, copying it to the editor for subsequent mastering. It's him I deal with principally in the support of their tape machines. Graham has a major concern in that using a 35 plus year old tape machine as a workhorse is a little bit like using a vintage car as a taxi, so his concern is keeping them running and getting access to replacement machines. How often do these come out? Uh, like, they're like buses. A810s are very desirable for the yes. simple reason that they're small size. Um, people will seek, seek those out. A807s as well. But of course, you know, they're, they're, they've got various speed on them, which is handy for you. And that's, you know, where's the well, A80 actually, hasn't. Actually, generally you know. speaking, we would never vary speed at you source wouldn't. unless the box told us to. Well, because mm. you can't actually guarantee that you'll get it exactly the way they very intended. True, very so true. We very would true. always vary speed after the event. So yes, the transfer yeah. is the transfer. And it's as simple as we can make yeah. it in the sense of we don't fiddle about too much Um, and as I said I've got one right now actually I did a cassette transfer for a a guy who's been out of business for years but he had a band in the 70s and he's found a live recording that they did and he wanted to just hear it and so I did a transfer Uh, and when he got it home he said uh, it's running slow what can we do? Do we need to transfer it again? Sure, said, you can say it's not decks not running fast. Well, no, no, it, it's possible. But yeah, but yeah. which one? Which one? That's the yeah, issue. Sure. Which one? Yeah. And and actually, it doesn't matter mm. because once you've got it in the digital domain, 
and and you're not talking about something that's that's really high quality mm, here. It's mm, a cassette of a live a recording. It's pretty ropey. Mm. But that's well, not taken off the point. taken off the front of house desk probably. Actually, I don't think it is. <laughs> really, I think it's on a mic. <laughs> yeah, I do. Right. I don't think it, it's not good enough to be yeah. actually off. Um, I mean, it, it, it's good enough to hear what they're doing, and it's quite interesting if yes. you're, if you're interested in that particular artist, if you like. But uh, but it was more the fact that he's the drummer on it and he hadn't yeah, heard it for enough. 40 years, you know, so yeah. he wanted to know what was on it. Well, he wouldn't have heard it if he was the drummer. Was a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see this, I remember that's the one that's got the yeah. uh, the um, attention roller removed on the right-hand side because it's a, yeah, a BBC machine, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, they yes. took that away for editing. Oh, you've got a Desire 07 that, here as well. That's our half-inch. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, it has half-inch, yeah. Here's an interesting thing because one of our clients yeah. has he took a look at this and he said, can you make it a four track? I said, well, it's got the it's got the amplifier. Yeah, it depends what the guts are inside. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, but yeah. he was even more interested in the possibility of making it a three track. Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> because in fact they've got a whole batch of three tracks. Oh, well, they were, must have been uh, what were they? Nineteen fifties. Ampex produced a three track, didn't they? Yes, oh, they yeah. must have done. Yeah, well, yeah. no, three track was quite a common format actually yeah. in the in the. 60s, yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course, I call that. But, but yeah, I mean, we're looking at AHS right. seven here with, with the old four to four uh, VU meter overbridge. Interestingly, you've got the padding on the front here. That yes. that's that shows that machine hasn't been used that much. That usually gets lacerated, yes. hacked a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lovely looking AHS seven. Yeah, no, yeah. it is actually. Yeah. It's a gorgeous machine. Yeah, it's really really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. half inch, which before was, oh the ampex yeah. yeah. this one's got, this one's actually got a quarter inch guides and stuff right we've got, we've got you know we've got um half inch headlock so sure one of my clients he's got an a800 and two a820s which which he bought yeah. with less than 900 hours on them from the bbc uh, at uh, outside broadcast department oh, i probably worked on those things he paid in 2001 eight thousand pound for the both of them wow those machines are probably worth as they stand yeah, twelve thousand yeah. each oh, yeah. but, and the 900 hours I mean, on each he's been looking for an 820 yeah. For, yeah. You know, yeah yeah i'd love it but he's got silly money yeah, exactly yeah. particularly in america from Studers, we moved on to Ampex, a maker machine that I admit I don't know too much about. But still, this is the great thing about Open Reel, they all basically do the same thing. Move tape across a set of record and replay heads to impart audio into or reproduce audio from that tape. The method in how they achieve that just differs from make to make. So once you have the basics understood, applying the theory is easy. Well, let's have a look yeah, now. Yeah, we've got yeah. a couple of Ampexes, haven't no, we? We've got two. I'm so trying my ignorance of Ampex here. What model? What model is it? ACR 100. All right. But it's actually a 102 because mm. they were listed as 102s, 108s, 101, 16s, etc. Depending mm. on mm. what you have, mm. or 104s even. Mm. I've heard. I mean, again, you might know from the mastering side here that people say, you know, this is produces an American sound. I don't know well, how how true that is. Well, when but, I first, you know. when I first, you know, I never was familiar with the Ampex at all until I came here. And um, when I started doing copying, I thought, oh my gosh, this is like really, you know, compared with the, the studio. It was a, and actually, going back to you, the American um, mm. the idea is maybe some more brasher sound. It's like really upfront. It's a fatter sound. It's a fatter sound, yeah. Um, maybe it's got sort of a, a response <laughs> curve with a bit of bass and a bit of top and a, and a hammock in the middle. You well, know. <laughs> no, not according to the test tape. It oh, right, okay. no. right. According to the it, test tape, it's actually a very flat response, really? actually, but it as you'd sounds, expect from a professional yeah, machine. Yeah. But somehow it feels... It, it, I don't know what, how to put this, really, but it feels slightly more analogy. Really? Yeah, <laughs> uh, whatever that means. <laughs> 
than than playing it on a studio. Studio. Funnily enough, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you get the impression when you play it on. Say you were playing the t- same tape on these two machines, you would get the impression that the studer was rock solid mm. and inflexible. The Ampex is sort of wanders about a bit. Mm. brings something to the table that wasn't perhaps there what, Which kind, I, what I, kind of distortion yeah. it, indeed exactly yeah. and, it, and, it, and, it, and it for a lot of things it does the Ampex yeah. does interesting have a gorgeous to know about, I was only reflecting on the Ampex and it's an American machine but of course actually it came out of the Second World War yes when, you know when American what soldiers so digging out you know how Hitler made these beautiful recordings of uh, orchestras, you know, and broadcast them. And anyway, they then found, after Germany was defeated, I think they, one of them actually found these German machines, which presumably were maybe Basseb, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. But anyway, basically, yeah. as far as I can remember, obviously they couldn't get the machine shipped back whole to the state, so basically he, he disassembled it completely put it in post bags, all the bits and pieces in the post bag. And when it got to America, they put it back together again. But I think from that came the the basis of Ampex. Ampex, think, yeah. yeah. And of course who, we've got Bing Crosby Bing, to thank. Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby who, to thank know, for it, really, haven't you we? You know, yeah. I'm just trying to f- you know, think of the time scale on all of this. Yeah. But, you know, obviously it's in, in late 40s. Yeah. But so in a kind of way... The Ampex is based on... Based on the European, yeah, the European, German sound, you know. yes, yes. Incidentally, if you don't know the story behind Bing Crosby, the radio stations he was putting the Bing Crosby show out were insisting that he did it live to maintain the quality, and vinyl, or the, the, the director cutting to vinyl, wasn't given the quality that the station desired. Mm-hmm. So he then heard about the start of Ampex and the quality you could get off quarter-inch tape machines and put money into Ampex, didn't he, to, yes. to help them develop the machine. I think he bought shares in the thing. He certainly put oh, 50000 sure. or so dollars I think a lot of money into them yeah yeah. Um, and almost cornered the market in quarter inch tape machines in America so he could distribute his programs to radio stations uh, across America so allowing for their time differences and those radio stations could play his programming quality so yeah we've got Bing Crosby to thank for tape machine development yeah Yeah. I mean as I said when I came until I came here I've not really been familiar with Ampex at all because like Mm. we were saying you know in the studio it was always Studer. It's always I Studer, mean, I, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know what the backup was for Ampex at all, but we had F.W.O. Bausch, mm. who yeah. were incredibly helpful. Well, they were the UK um, distributor for, for, for Studer. And, yeah. you know, if anything went wrong... And what's the Werner, yeah. go-to guy whenever yeah. they had any problems, yeah. and he, he would but turn he up. he came down a couple of times. Oh, yeah. more than yeah. a couple, yeah. actually. Yeah. 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 Not I mean, that we had that many problems. No, Bausch were preeminent, I mean, in, oh, in, yeah. in the UK. I mean, for Studer to say, well, I had no UK presence because they had Bausch to, to do all the work for yeah. them. Press Play, the Real Resilience podcast, dedicated to all things reel-to-reel. To recap, if you're not familiar, FWO Bausch were appointed by Studer as a principal support provider for their products in the UK. Check a Studer or Revox manual for international distributors and you'll see that Studer set up support in many countries, but in the UK, such was a standing of Bausch that they didn't go to that effort. It was all over to them. Bausch not only sold the machines and supported them, but they also undertook approved modifications as well, mainly at the behest of the BBC. 
and its maximum usage, the BBC had well over 1,500 tape machines from Studer and other manufacturers in service, so they held considerable clout as a customer. As part of their studio operations, they would request modifications to standard products, and in the case of tape machines, this could be internal audio and control boards, through to transport panels, and as you'll hear me mention, even the removal of transport rollers to an A810 in order to ease editing. Unfortunately, although the Bausch documentation was excellent, because it was bespoke, little of it survives. ICX BBC tape machines still come up on auction sites all over the world, and some, I can see, have been modified. Also, I read requests on forums for information about non-Studer fader panels or internal boards that, although they look like original manufacturer product, have Bausch etched onto them. Even I, with my BBC background, although I recognise why that mod was made or why a particular board is present, cannot recall how it functioned or the mods that were made to the original machine to interface it. Unfortunately, FWO Bausch ceased trading in the mid-1990s, possibly due to the downturn in the use of tape for professional use, so we can't go back to them to ask the questions about how a particular board worked with a particular machine. We're really a bit on our own here. If you have a Studer that's an ex-BBC machine, and you'll probably know it because it's either in a bespoke trolley or will have BBC stickers stuck all over it, and it's most probably a B67 Mark 1 or 2, an A80, A807 Mark 1 or 2, or an A810, and it'll have a fader panel on the front or connections on the rear labelled Q or PFL etc., it will probably have a Bausch mod in it. If you need more info on what it does, I will be happy to help. So if you drop me a line via the submission form on the Real Resilience website, we'll see what we can do. Find Real Resilience on the web at realresilience.co.uk and on our Facebook page, Real Resilience. Moving away from tape, but still in the analogue domain, sound mastering showed me an interesting turntable they used to transcribe vinyl and then a studio recording format that was a precursor to tape. You mentioned the pink triangle turntable a while ago. Can we can yes. we see that and the yes, actual where, where it all comes yes, from? All starts at the beginning. Yes. Oh wow! So we're looking at a, this is a custom built pink triangle turntable. Is it, it is, with a yeah. fourteen inch platter? Um, and with the extra long SME. SME arm. Yeah. God. It's uh, it's been a workhorse actually for over twenty years, hasn't oh, it? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's I think. Like it, yeah. yeah. When I first came here, that was when this was new. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it has the occasional problems in cold temperatures with uh, mm. speed. You have to wait half an hour when you switch it on in the morning sometimes for it to warm. Ah, it's warm getting a bit ancient, but it warms through. Yeah. I know it's an opaque piece of, what is that, Perspex, is it? It is it, a big, piece, big Pers- chunk of Perspex. Perspex, yeah. 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 That's right. Oh. And it also has a very special adaptation. Yeah, in the middle. Which is you can take the spindle out to a much thinner spindle. Oh, right. If you've got an off-centered disc. Ah, it saves right. you having to carve the middle out of an off-centered. Disc. Well, then you what? You can uh, screw it. Yes. You lock it down again. Yeah, you lock it, yeah, down lock it down again. Down. Either with it, well, nice that one or one is that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Screw oh, I see. Wow, it goes around to make a sound. It, it does I mean, indeed. Yes, yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Oh, we got some more. We Graham is that. holding a. What is this, Graham? This is a lacquer or acetate. Yeah, probably from the 1950s. Yeah, it might even be 1940s. 14-inch diameter, and this would have. This would have been what they recorded directly onto. Right. This is late 40s, actually. Yeah. Right. So, so from this, they'd make the, master, the, the stamper, yeah. would they? Yeah. Yeah. No, but, no. No. What they would then do, having this, this is a session tape, yeah. effectively. Yeah. It's probably got three of the same song on it. And you All can right. see false starts here. 
Oh, yes. Having got the recording that they want, whichever one it is, they would then play this back and recut it onto a smaller lacquer oh, right. to actually make the final cutting master. Oh, wow. So this is a session master, uh, session right. lacquer. Right. And so what, you've got about three tracks and you said the full starts of the very small bands. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah there. Be the full right. starts. What is it on there? Do you know what's, what music? Uh, oh, it's only single-sided as well, isn't it? No, it's yeah. from King Records. All oh, right. Well, they do R&B, R&B or blues. And, co- yeah. and, and country. This is actually country. All right. Um, oh, that's a shame, country music. Well, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's growing in popularity. Very true. Yeah. But again, yes. when I first, you know, Put this on and, you know, heard this. You're waggling it around. Oh, yeah. snapping well, it in half. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty soft. Yeah. I'm just yeah. they're, they're not. It's aluminium. So it's, oh, it's, oh, it's aluminium. Yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, it's, right. a, it's a so coating it's on aluminium. Plate. Oh, I see. Right. And um, and of course, as Nick's saying, they're session yes. discs. So the band's playing fully live. Yeah. And they're not going to be any overdubs. And I re- always remember, you know, the, the modern catalog with all the R and D stuff. They're still doing. They're still doing this nowadays. Cutting director. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah cutting yes, director to process, off. Yeah, yes, same, process, same process. Yeah. Put that on. Just pin me to the wall. Cause, you know, it's just because you're, you're getting the performance. Yes. You know, you're getting the full performance wow. with all the instruments in. yeah. and the sound. I mean, in oh, they're amazing. Of, they're yeah. usually mono, of course. Yes. In fact, yeah. they're always mono but until actually, you get into the late fifties. You know, apart from obviously the. Yeah, we've learned the signal to noise has got has improved, hasn't it? Yeah. But it's still, yeah. But in, in terms of the actual clarity and quality of the, mm. the, the, the sound, so would you master from those? Yes, you would. Yeah, you yes. would put that on the uh, on so the on the turntable. Yes, yeah. Oh, absolutely. On that yeah. deck. On that deck. Transfer into <clears throat> into the digital domain. Gets archived and then it goes to me. Finally, we went back to tape and an unusual studer that was used in vinyl mastering. And then a couple of DAT machines. Yeah, is the carcass hey. of an A80. Studer A80, yeah. And we use this for one specific purpose, and that is if we get tapes in that are in the German format on. Just taking the uh, cover off it here. That have those. Oh right. I see that he's shown you the so tape part. This is new to, and it's ah, got it's got well, this is, this is loads of different is, spoolers. Yeah, on well, it. that's because yeah. this was a cutting machine. Oh right. And so these are the delay paths. Yeah. For all the different speeds. Oh right. So you would wind the tape round here. Yeah. And then it would go up round there, or up round there, or up round there, depending on what you were doing. So we're looking at thirty-three, forty-five. Oh, I see. We're looking at a Studer A80, but it's got loads of extra uh, tension rollers that have been screwed in at different points. It reminds me of the tape path a little bit of a, a Technics um, uh, 1500, you know, with the, yes. the, the, the kind of U-path. Yes. But as well as it running the normal conventional route, I should say, through the tension arms and the, and the, and the rollers, it then goes off in all these different yeah, places. Yeah, you can see, for example, wow. it would have gone round that roller, round that, round round that, that roller. roller, right the yeah. way round here, Crikey. and back in through there for I mean, 33... Whatever that says. But what, why, would, why would they have a longer path on Oh, it? because you had two heads, both in use. And so what would happen is the tape would come around here, it would, it would hit this head first. That, just, uh, just after the first large yes. roller on the left-hand side, that yeah. That information would be sent to the lathe, and then the lathe would... It's, it's pre-delay. Oh, I so see. So the lathe knows what's coming. 
Oh, because right. then it goes all the way around here. And so it can adjust the, 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 the gain and everything. X amount of time later. Yeah. And so it knows what real estate it needs that's coming. Ah, right, I understand it. Yeah, these yeah, days. That's fascinating. I've seen a, a, a three-spool version of an A80, which is basically three three um, three spooling motors next to each other. But they made the A80, I mean, ran cassette tapes, so you could master on it, all sorts yes. of different yes. formats. But I've the, never seen a machine like that. From the early 1980s, a lot of the cutting rooms substituted digital delay lines instead. So that's it for this podcast. Much thanks to Graham and Nick at Sound Mastering in London, not only for their time, but also for the semi-Revox A700 they gave me. It will be a good source of donor parts, so thanks for that. The next podcast will see us talking about pre-recorded tapes. In the meantime, keep your tape and tape machine addiction fed by taking a look at the Real Resilience website at realresilience.co.uk and the Facebook page Real Resilience. There's lots of info in there and the machines I'm working on and info to download too. Finally, this is where I need your help. I'm looking into the viability of running a workshop this year at my place in Derbyshire on tape machine lineup and mechanics. I need to do some market research to see what the demand's like, so if you could drop me a line to register your interest, probably via a query submission form on the website or as a PM on Facebook, that would really be appreciated. So that's it for this episode of Press Play, the podcast from Real Resilience, dedicated to all things tape and tape recorder. Find Real Resilience on the web at realresilience.co.uk and on our Facebook page, Real Resilience. Until the next time, best wishes for the coming year and keep it real. Right, well, thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. It's been absolutely fascinating, and I've realised I've taken up way too much time. The record has been running for just under two hours now, so uh, but it's 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 been great. Thank you very very much. One last thing I wanted to show you. Oh, Ampex test tape in a it looks like a film tin it's in, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I think it's a half inch. Is that half inch? It is a half inch. Yeah. And it's accidentally got itself into somebody else's archive. It's from Trident Studios. Oh right. Probably in the early 70s and but it is a test tape it's oh, not it's, it's not oh, a, i'm almost not, certain it is yeah. yeah absolutely i haven't put it on the machine so, yet. so that's something for the a807 is it yes it is yeah. yeah although we do have more modern ones but uh, mm. i just thought it was interesting that the test tapes came as you say in these sort of film film, canisters. T- film cans yeah. which i wouldn't have thought would be uh they're not going to stop any magnetic just not, uh, no, it's not really no. make it difficult to put them back because <laughs> you're struggling to get the lid on yeah that's right exactly <laughs>